wise and understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. It was yesterday afternoon, and I said to Lori, Hey, Lori, I would love to sneak away for a little bit and work on my sermon. Just look at the text and listen for God's voice and go over my outline. And she said, go for it. So I thought, all right, awesome. I'm gonna hop in my truck. And so hopped in my truck and headed off to one of my whispering spots. So I have these places called whispering spots, places where I feel like I can hear Jesus a little more clearly, hear the voice of the Father a little bit more uh, that I frequent. And one of them is over by the Madison River. Now, I had good motivation, I thought. Like my motivation was God-given. I was like, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna listen for God's voice and I'm gonna work on my sermon. My motivation was pure and true. But then it it got really clear that it was really nice out and the Madison River looked really good. And I have three rods on top of my truck at all times. And so suddenly, like, a different motivation started creeping up within me. Like maybe I wasn't there for Jesus. Maybe I was there for fishing. And so um, I, I thought, no, no, I, I'm here for Jesus. I'm motivated by Jesus. And so I, I took the turn that I usually take and I went down to the corner I usually go to. And, and I thought, well, you know, if, if my spot is open, then maybe I'll, I'll grab my spot. And, th- and, then, and then my true motivations came out because there was a dude fishing in my spot, man, Okay, so something like literally happened within me and I was like, Jesus, thanks for giving me my intro uh, story for the day. Um, Because what we're going to talk about today is motivations. We're going to talk about motivations. What's actually going on inside of you under the surface? Here's the question. What are you motivated by? What are you motivated by? What is actually going on under the surface. Let me say it this way. What are you motivated by for real? Okay? Not what are you pretending you're motivated by, but what are you motivated by for real? I've been uh, working with the high school ministry on Sunday nights, and last week we started uh, a series by a pastor named Andy Stanley out of his new book called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. I highly recommend you go and grab that. And he asked a question in last week's lesson that we 
listened to with the high schoolers, and it was the integrity question. And the question was this, am I being honest with myself? Really? It's kind of the question I'm asking us to do this morning. Like, as I observed my motivations yesterday, and as I took inventory of the pureness of those motivations, that's what I'm asking you to lean in on this morning. Because I think if you're honest, and if I'm honest, we've got some work to do in terms of what is actually motivating our faith. But this is what Stanley went on to ask some questions that I think are helpful for us as well, to help us dig down if we're being really honest with ourselves. Why are you dating him? Why are you dating her? Why did you take that job? Why did you quit that job? Why are you surrounding yourselves with who you're surrounding yourself with? Why do you always say yes? Why do you always say no? Why do you keep putting this off till the last second? Why can't you let go of this? See, these questions, they peer into our souls. You can actually like feel this palpably in the room and hopefully online. You can feel this in tangible ways that these questions impress upon us deeper questions of our soul, questions that we don't often ask of ourselves, questions about what is going on in our heart, what's going on deep inside of our souls. And what I want us to do is take an honest inventory of that today because I think there are two main motivations that James unveils to us. And we're familiar with both of them, but one of them is the wrong motivation and one of them is the right motivation. And if we go down the road of the wrong motivation, guess what? We will have a faith that doesn't work. But if we go down the road of the right motivation, I believe that we will find a faith that actually works. So let's start with the wrong motivation. This is where James starts. He starts with the wrong motivation. And, and to help us a little further with understanding the wrong motivation, I want to give you a model. This is an ancient model. Uh, from the beginning of time, humans have been looking up at the sky and trying to figure out how the world and the universe really works. They've been looking at stars and planets and the sun and throughout the years, there was this, this scientific model that sort of appeared, and, the peer, and what it was was the geocentric model. The geocentric model simply said something like this, that everything revolves around the earth. That, that as people observed everything going on in, in the sky with the sun and the moon and the stars, they thought everything must revolve around us. And it was the geocentric model. What people did was they put the world in the middle. They put the, the place that they lived in the middle. And then they said, everything else must revolve around that. What we've actually found out is that's actually the wrong model. If you put the wrong thing in the middle, it's going to mess with everything else. Here's the wrong model. It's not a real word, it's a Brian word, okay? I like to make up words. 
And the word is this, me-centric. Everybody say me. Me. Who do you love? Say it. Okay, I got you, right? Who do you love? Me. You do, you do, right? Who do I love? Me. It's the me-centric model. We know the me-centric model. We know it very, very well. And James wants to point out to us that we may have a model that isn't going to work right in our faith because it's the wrong model. He begins in chapter four by saying this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? What's at the center of you? They're coming out of there. You desire, but you don't have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Everybody say, wrong motives. No, oh, yeah, like, thank you, three of you. Okay, good job. All right. You're with me still. Thank you. Or, you asked with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James wants to help us understand that this me-centric model doesn't work. This me-centric faith, it simply doesn't work. And he paints a picture of what it looks like. He says, here's what a me-centric faith looks like. It looks like this. It looks like this. Number one, full of conflict. It looks like it's full of conflict. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Comes from the desires, the wrong motives within you. If you're taking inventory of yourself, you say, am I a peaceful person or am I a a person full of conflict? Like, am I always fighting with others and even fighting with myself? Is something unsettled in me all of the time? Do I fight and quarrel? Am I one of those people that like every single time it turns into a fight? That might be because you're me-centric. You're me-centric. And so when you run into somebody else who's me-centric or they have something else in the center of their life, you say, that's not right. This is how I run my life. I have me in the middle. Everything circles around that. And when you mess that up, it doesn't work. And so I'm at conflict with you. I'm gonna fight with you. I'm gonna quarrel with you. I might kill you, it says. And that is what we see in spades in this world. A me-centric faith that doesn't work. Full of conflict. It's selfish in stance. It's selfish in stance. Like the posture of a me-centric faith is somebody who only looks at themselves. We call these people navel gazers, right? Like, I, I can barely see mine anymore, but some, like, when I could, like, navel gaze, right? We call these navel gaze, people that just look at themselves. They put themselves in the center, and they say, I'm just going to make sure everything else revolves around me. And when somebody doesn't revolve around me, when somebody doesn't revolve around what I think should happen, then we got problems. 
But that's based out of a selfish stance that the world would exist for me. It's a selfish stance. It's covetous, he says. It's covetous. I think this gets worse and worse with social media. I do. I know I pick on social media a lot. I'm on it all the time too. That's why I pick on it. Because it's easy to go on social media and go, that person's life is better than mine. Right? Like, be honest, right? You've got those friends that you go on Instagram and you're like, they're on vacation again. Like, how do they don't even work. What is going on here, right? And you go, I wish, I wish I could have that life. I wish I could have that amount of money. I wish I could have that job. I wish that I could have that life. A me-centered life, a me-centered faith is all based upon how I don't have enough and how can I possibly get what I think I deserve for me. It's covetous in nature. He goes on. It's really encouraging so far, right? Okay, all right, we're good. Stay with me. It's hedonistic, okay? It's hedonistic. Here's what he says. You ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Hedonism is this. It's spending what you have on your pleasures. Hedonism is, I'm sorry, MSU, um, it's spring break 2021, which I heard got canceled. That's, yes, Jesus did that for you. You're welcome. Okay, so um, <laughs> you will have less regrets after this year. I'm just telling you, like I was there. I've been there, okay? What happens in South Padre Island doesn't stay in South Padre Island. It follows you home. That's how it works, okay? That's how hedonism works. And we live in a world full of hedonistic thinking. Well, you need to, you need to, be happy all the time. Like, do what makes you happy. It's not gonna hurt anybody else. Just do that, right? Hedonism would say, hey, take the short, the short term and forget about the long term. Take what makes you happy now, but forget about what actually brings you real joy and fulfillment and purpose in life. Take what's cheap instead of what actually is necessary. Hedonism, hedonism is a lie to us. It's just a simple lie to us. Hey, get what you need to get right now. Consume, consume, consume. And yet you wake up with a bed of regrets. It's hedonistic, it's adulterous. You adulterous people, James says. You adulterous people. Here's the heart of adultery. It's a violation of the covenantal relationship between a husband and a wife. It's a fracture in a relationship that was made to last forever. And this is a picture of God's people throughout the Bible. That God is the groom and we his people are his bride and we we love him we adore him and when things are going well it's great and then when things are going bad we're like what's wrong with you and we turn to other things because we're adulterous we forget about him we say i I, i've got it on my own i don't need him anymore we're adulterous we are unfaithful to our god 
A faith that doesn't work is adulterous. And specifically, he goes further. It's adulterous because you become a friend of the world. You pick the world over God. Let me tell you how this works out, okay? Some of you are exhausted right now because you want the approval of men and not of God. Some of you are exhausted because you want approval that you're never gonna get. You want somebody to fulfill something in your life that they cannot fulfill. You want something that only God can offer. You want that with the world. You want the world to give you that. Aren't you exhausted? Aren't you exhausted of that? That's how tricky this is, right? Because we think, oh, I'm not not that me-centric. Actually, I love other people. Yeah, but why do you love other people? Well, because it makes me feel good about myself. Oh, oh, so it's actually, a, it's actually about you. Oh, it's harder than we think. Because when we become a friend of the world, what James says is that we also become something else. We become an enemy of God. We, we pick friendship with the world. We want the world to look at us in a certain way. And because we have forfeited that for the greater prize, we then become an enemy with God. We turn our back on God and we embrace the world. We say, God, I don't need you, but I need the world. And we become an enemy of God. And this is a bad position for us to be in because do you know what happens to the enemy of God? They lose. Spoiler alert. That's just what it works, okay? Like God always wins, God always wins. And when we accept the world and become an enemy of God, we are headed down a track to loss, a track that will not work, a track that is wrong because we've done something wrong. We've put ourselves in the middle. We have become me-centric. This works out in your personal lives. It works out in your professional lives as well. Patrick Lencioni, great leadership guru. He led a book, he read a book, read he read it probably as well but he wrote a book last year called the motive and he was asking the same question that i'm asking this morning what motivates you he said that that leaders are often motivated by two things and one of them you want to work for and one of them you don't okay the one you don't want to work for is a reward centered leader Don't nudge anybody or look at anybody or text anybody right now. But you know these leaders. And if you don't know them, might be you. Okay, so just fair warning. Reward-centered leaders are me-centered leaders. They say, I'm in the middle of my organization and you all exist to serve me. You all exist to make my life great. I'm here, I lead, you all follow and do everything that needs to happen for me. I don't care about you. I need my needs met. These are reward-centered leaders. And these leaders actually rise up the ranks in our world. They rise up the ranks, but this is not the way of Jesus. This is not a faith that works. In fact, even in the business world, this is a faith that eventually does not work because nobody wants to work for somebody like that. A reward-centered, selfish leader. So that's the bad news. You ready for the good news? I feel like we should get to the good news, okay? Here's the good news. The good news is this. There is a right motivation. 
there's a right motivation. And James wants to paint a picture of that as well. The right motivation. See, um, there was that geocentric model, the model where the universe revolved around the world. But, But then this guy named Copernicus shows up and he goes, man, sure looks like the planets revolve around the sun. And the sun kind of seems like dominant, like it seems bigger and like it's this giant ball of glowing gas and I bet it's got a lot of gravity. And so he starts to postulate, well, maybe, maybe that model was wrong. Maybe it's not that everything circles around the earth, but maybe everything orbits around the sun. Maybe everything orbits around the thing that gives life and light to everything else. Are you tracking with me? Maybe that's a better model, a heliocentric model. For those of you who are not with me and you're like, I'm still a flat earther. Good job. I'll pray for you. Hope you don't fall off. Okay. (laughs) Copernicus, Galileo, Kepler, they all improved upon this heliocentric model, and now we, we know that the sun is at the center of our universe. This star brings us light and life, and without it, nothing on earth would live. Life would exist without the sun. And so what we need is a new center of our faith, a better center, the right center, and the right center is a God-centric center a God-centric faith. Instead of a me-centric faith, we need a God-centric faith. So James continues and he says this, or do you think scripture says without reason that he, God, jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. What James says is there's a better way to live, and it's a God-centric way of life, a God-centered faith, a faith that actually works. That if we put the right thing in the middle, then things can properly orbit around that which gives life and light to all. So he spells out to us what a God-centric faith looks like. Once again, take inventory, right? Compare these two lists. I want you to do this. By the end of today, I want you to say, am I in this category or am I in this category? Like, where, where, where is God calling me to be, okay? So here's the good news. What a God-centric faith looks like is this. It's spirit-led. So that God is, he's jealous for his spirit to dwell within us. So if you're new to church, I've talked to some folks who are like, that's a little weird. Like the spirit of God 
was there in the beginning. You can read him in the very, very first chapter of Genesis as the spirit of God was hovering over the abyss, over the chaos, over the nothingness. And then the spirit of God was present in all these incredible moments in the Old Testament. It found its fullest fulfillment in Jesus and in his ministry. And then it was poured out on all the believers after Jesus had completed his earthly ministry during his time. And that those of us who call upon God, God wants his spirit to dwell within us. Like wrongly, some of the world calls this a conscience. And I do think there is a conscience. I think you can know what's right and what's wrong without the spirit of God. But we have something better than that. We have the spirit of God. That's why sometimes you're like, man, I am so convicted about that piece of my life right now. That's the spirit of God dwelling within you. Man, I should love that person. Yes, you should. That's the spirit of God living within you, dwelling within you, leading and guiding your life and decisions every step of the way. For those of you who call on the name of Jesus, he is excited. He's jealous in a good way to put his spirit within you. That's a faith that works. It is grace-filled. It's full of grace. We've talked about this already in this series. Those who have been saved, those who have been given grace, they also give grace. When we've been given unmerited favor, that's what grace is. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And yet God lavished his grace and love upon us. Then we go and lavish that grace upon others. That's what a faith that is God-centric looks like. It's grace-filled. It's submitted to God. It's submitted to God. We hate this word. We hate it, right? Like, okay, go out today and do a straw poll and be like, hey, how do you much do you like the word submission? <laughs> and see what people say, right? Like, that's not the most uh, incredibly popular word these days, but James says, submit yourselves to God. Submission means this, put yourself under God. Don't, stop putting yourself over God. You're a terrible God. You are. Ask, ask your spouse. You're a terrible God. I promise, okay? Ask your friend. You're a terrible God. Ask your kid. You're a really terrible God, okay? Right? You're a terrible God. So come under that good God. Submit yourself underneath his authority. This is what it means when somebody churchy says, hey, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? That's what it means. It means, is he the boss? Or are you like, hey, Jesus, you get this and this and this, but this stuff over here, this is for me. You get A, B, and C, but you don't get, you don't get D, E, and F, definitely. Making him the Lord of your life, it says, I'm gonna put myself underneath him and everything is his. It's a faith that works. It's submitted to God and it's resistant to the devil. Once again, James is going back on some of the things he already talked about, which is when temptation comes, we don't play around with temptation. We don't, we don't mess with temptation. We don't try to manage our sin. We kill our sin. We bring it to Jesus. We drag it out, kicking and screaming into the light so that God can deal with it. We flee from the devil. We don't play around with the devil. We flee from the devil. So we submit ourselves to God. We flee from the devil. We are resistant to the devil. And we are close to God. We are close to God. I want to spend a moment here. So 
this is a little peel back behind the curtain, literally, is I sit back there before the sermon and I go through four uh, A's because that's, I just remember them easier then. And they are this, I, I start with admitting to God that I have, I have nothing good to say on my own. I've worked very hard preparing this, but at the end of the day, if, if I have not gotten words from him, it should fall flat. So I admit that I have nothing to offer on my own. Then I abide I abide in Jesus. And I think about like passages that come to mind and I just kind of sit and soak in Jesus for a little bit. Then I ask God to do what I can't do. And then I act. I, I come up here and I step forward into this and I, and I preach. Well, something happened this morning at the nine o'clock in my abide time. And, and here's, here's, what, here's what the spirit of God whispered to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and I will give you rest. I was sitting back there and I'm like, what? Come to me. You who are weary, you who are far away, come to me. And I'm like, why do you, what what is that about? Are you weary? Like some of you are weary. I'm weary. (laughs) This year has worn me out. I'm tired and I need rest. I'm hungry. I'm hungry for righteousness. And there is one that can fulfill. But I have to come near to him. I am thirsty. And he can give me something to drink. Come, come to him. Come near to him and he will come near to you. We're spirit-led, grace-filled, submitted to God, resistant to the devil, close to God. We are cleansed by God. We, we are no longer the old creation. We are the new creation. We are presented pure and spotless. We're no longer the adulterous wife. We're the wife who has been redeemed, who gets to wear white on her wedding day. She gets to stand there spotless and pure and radiant before her groom. We are cleansed by God. We are somber to sin. We are sad about our sin. We are repentant for our sin. Like, when you feel guilty about your sin, you should feel guilty. Once again, not very popular. And I know there's this confusion around guilt and shame. Shame is when you like live in this constant state of like, woe is me, uh, this is my identity. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about proper guilt. You, when you're guilty, you should feel guilty. And then you should be somber to that somber to your sin, to turn, to repent, and come back close to God. Lastly, and this is the umbrella, it's humble in stance. That's what a God-centric faith looks like. It is humble in stance. It's humble to God and his words, and it's humble to others. It works out in your personal lives. It also works out in your professional lives. Lencioni, in his book, The Motive, goes on to talk about uh, responsibility-led leaders. Leaders who would say that they have their priorities right. Like, like they may understand that this isn't even God's business. It's their, it, or this, it isn't their business, it's God's business. That they're just managing God's business and they wanna give all the glory and all the honor and all the praise to God through their business. They're not the center of the business. God's will is the center of their business. And so they serve everyone on their team. There's a servant leader. They, say, how, they don't say, how can you serve me? They say, how can I serve you? 
Like, what kind of leader do you want to work for, right? You want to work for the one who's like, give me rewards. Or you want to work for the one who says, I take responsibility. I want to end with this. I want to end with a reflective moment. Because I I felt this at the nine and I feel this at at this gathering as well. Um, You have a choice. You have a choice. You can continue to live me-centric and wonder why the wheels keep falling off. Or or you can trade that in and you can become God-centric. See, I don't think... I don't think that it's like, I need to get this and this and this right, and then it's gonna be all good. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think the very center of your life needs to change. I think your heart needs to change. I think your soul needs to change. I think the center of your universe needs to be something else. And I think you stand in the middle of a crossroads every single morning, but especially right now. Like, I wanna ask you this, what will you do How will you respond? Do you want to keep living like this? Aren't you exhausted? Or do you want to accept this? Do you want to respond to the good gift of God that you can put God in the center and it changes absolutely everything? What will you do? I want you to take a moment and I want you to consider this question. Maybe you need to bow your head. Maybe you need to close your eyes. Whatever you need to do. Here's the question, what are my true motives? What are my true motivations? What's really deep down driving me? Is it me or is it God? I would ask that you would ask God to show you exactly, exactly what you're holding on to, exactly what you still see as me-centered and that you would submit it to him that it would become God-centered. I just wanna take a minute, if you're online, there's going to, something's going to come up on your screen with this question. Take a moment and quietly reflect on the question, what are my true motivations? Jesus, I pray that you would convict us deep within our spirits. I admit to you, God, that I I chase after the things of this world. That I that I want things that don't fulfill me. That I I seek out that which doesn't last and And it's just a cheap substitute, God, for you. I I need you to convict me, God. And and I need to respond. 
by putting you in the center of my life. And I know that's true for those in the room, those online, God. I pray for those right now who have never taken that step, who have just lived a me-centered life and they're so tired and they're so weary and they just want to hand their life to you. I pray you'd give them the courage to do that and to put you in the center for the very first time. And God, I pray for those who have been walking with you a long time and maybe we're just holding on to one or two things still. We're just just cannot let them go. I pray that you would just rip them out of our greedy little fingers. God, that you would help us to see what a life of full submission to you looks like. Spirit, I pray that you would move that you would cause us to change, to be transformed, to be given a new image, a new name, a new likeness. Jesus, take these fragile pieces of our life and transform them pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.